I am deeply and profoundly invested in action movies and the gentle himbos who star in them. Which is to say that I love Keanu Reeves. I'm definitely not alone in this, and he's definitely having something of an internet renaissance at the moment. It's kind of difficult to pin down what's so great about him, but it's hard not to like a man who puts just as much enthusiasm into my own private Idaho as he does into John Wick. Keanu Reeves just likes movies, and that's nice. He's the kind of man you look at and go, he has a kind face and he would not betray me. I firmly believe this. But this podcast, unfortunately, isn't actually about Keanu Reeves. Um, Give it like three more episodes and I'll probably get there, to be totally honest with you. It's actually about comic books. What do Keanu Reeves and comic books have in common? Well, Keanu wrote one. It's an action comic called Berserker about a half-man, half-god, cursed and compelled to violence. I'm, uh, I'm obviously quoting the press release here. I'm, I'm not that melodramatic. <laughs> Ordinarily, this wouldn't be worth talking about, because Keanu is a nice man with impeccable taste, and I love a character whose entire arc is him struggling with the compulsion to beat people to a bloody pulp. But he's releasing the comic through Boom Studios, and they've chosen to market the comic book through fundraising platform Kickstarter. And I've got beef. So instead of serenely talking about Keanu Reeves for 20 minutes, I'm dipping my toe into the toxic pool of comic book publishing. Join me. I'm Alex, this is Pop Culture Boner, the podcast edition, and today I'm thinking about the comic book industry. Okay, so like, this episode is probably a little bit more complicated than I initially let on, and I'm going to be covering a little bit more than comic books. A lot's going on this week, but it was hard to fit it into one punchy, this is what we're doing, sentence without just like making that sentence. Today I'm thinking about the death roll of capitalism, which is a lot less fun, and I don't know if we can technically accuse an economic system of being popular culture in the way that we articulate it on this podcast even if it is ruining your life and mine. What I'm actually interested in here is the way that Boom Studios, a well-established comic book studio that has deals with Netflix and Fox, has opted to use Kickstarter, a fundraising platform used by smaller creators to self-fund projects, as a marketing tool. This is essentially a very large and well-funded publisher disrupting a space used by smaller, independent creators and publishing houses in a way that will likely have long-term repercussions for people looking to get their start on the platform. I know from the perspective of the average consumer, the presence of a big name on a fundraising platform doesn't necessarily scream red flag. Like most consumer goods, we're often pretty far removed from the means of production, so it can be kind of easy to overlook problems just by way of ignorance. It's sort of like the food industry. Like, did you know, for example, that most of the world's chocolate is produced using child labour, and despite consistent lobbying from basically everybody, Nestle, Mars and Hershey's still can't guarantee that their products are made without exploiting children? I'm going to say likely not, because you don't have to see how it's made. These things just appear on shelves, apparently available for your convenience. There's not a lot of prompting to think about the broader production of the items themselves. And there should be. 
So I thought today we could interrogate how comic books are made in the United States by deconstructing the process, the newfound digital proximity to creators, and the impact this has on actual content creation. It's not the huge and morally bankrupt can of worms that is the global food supply, but it's interesting nonetheless. I'll leave you some reading material about chocolate in the episode notes. Anyway, let's start with a hypothetical. You'll forgive me for the fictional jumpstart, but we're going to go over how capitalism slowly ruins us all, so I'm trying to keep it light. (laughs) Uh, But let's say you're a fine young homosexual with some artistic flair. Uh, You've spent every night of your youth either reading comic books or drawing, and you think, one day I'm going to do that. Skip forward a few years, you're in the US, and you're full of ideas and art school debt. You're ready for your dream job. Where do you start? Chances are you might take a look at Boom Studios. Boom has a reputation for producing progressive content that's both fun and political. Their titles often include characters who are absent from traditional comics publishing, like women, queer people, and people of colour. On top of that, many of their creators are young people from diverse backgrounds, which lends some credibility to their claims of being a friendly and progressive publishing company. They've got some award-winning originals like Giant Days and Lumberjanes, which both feature queer romances. Plus, they've got some killer IPs like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Jim Henson's Dark Crystal. They've got a freshly inked first-look deal with Netflix, meaning that there's a good chance something you work on might make it onto the big screen. How exciting! Plus, they have a really heavy presence at your art school's open day, and your art school isn't actively trying to dick you over. So with all that in mind, it would be pretty easy to look at a great range of content that's actively including marginalised identities as part of its storytelling, breathe a big sigh of relief, and take that job. What could possibly go wrong? Well, a a few things. Uh, For one, you're probably not walking into a regular 9-to-5 job. The American comic book industry relies really heavily on freelancers. And by relies heavily, I mean it basically runs on them. Like, there's a hamster wheel of people with no health insurance, and the faster their little legs pump, the quicker issues of Robocop come out. One thing a lot of people who casually consume comic books probably don't realise is that a lot of people touch that comic before it ever makes it to your shelf. You've got a writer, a penciler, an inker, a flatter, a colorist, and a letterer who might all lay hands on your page at some point, with an editor acting as an overseer for each step. Sometimes people will wear more than one hat. A colorist might do their own flats, for example, or an inker might do their own letters. These people are getting paid a page rate, and that page rate will vary wildly from publisher to publisher, from role to role, and from contributor to contributor. Imagining that you're pretty new to the game, it's going to be hard to work out what you're worth because a lot of the time publishers aren't telling. I was trying to find some rates that weren't anecdotal provided by like people I actually know who work in the industry and boy was it difficult. Uh, I did manage to find a list from Creator Resource from like 2017 that had some survey data and some of the lowest rates on there sat with Boom Studios who at their lowest were offering $10 a page for lettering and $25 a page for scripts and colours. The survey also asked for feedback on difficult publishers to work with and Boom formed mm, the bulk of it. 
Some of my favorite pieces of feedback included they don't pay well on time or sometimes at all, and at all costs, avoid working with Boom Studios. <laughs> Um, if you're outside of the industry, a page rate probably doesn't seem too bad if you apply gig economy logic to it. The sky is the limit if you're working fast and hard enough. But as with all work, and with all sensible rebuttals of the gig economy logic, these things take time to produce. If we take inks, which on Boom's page rate were $20 a pop, and we factor in the time, let's say two hours if you're working fast and four if you're working slow, you end up with between five and ten dollars an hour. The federal minimum wage in the US is seven dollars and twenty-five cents. So you're either scraping over the top there or you're significantly under, depending on how quickly you can burn through pages. And Boom will ask you to burn. You can try and negotiate something higher, but you're freelance in a pretty competitive creative industry. This is a lot of people's dream job. So you can be dropped without notice, and there's likely 300 other recent grads who spent their formative years also reading comics, clamoring to get their foot in the door of their dream progressive company. But hey, you're young, and it's your dream job, right? You can probably handle low wages for a bit, because Boom is definitely the right fit for you. It's nice and progressive and committed to inclusive storytelling, What's that saying on all those stupid motivational posters? Do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. It's freelance, so you've got some flexibility. You can work on multiple projects at a time. Sometimes you might even work on something that has huge sentimental value to you. You get to be part of something. Now, assuming you aren't burned out by the brutal deadlines that monthly comics demand, or starving to death by being paid below minimum wage for most of your work, Let's just say you keep up your passion for comic books and you finally get to pitch your idea and Boom Studios likes it. A big step up for you. You get to tell the stories you want to the audience you want and you're fully supported by a company that gets you. Nothing to worry about there, obviously. Mm, well, <laughs> look, some, some things to worry about, probably. One of the hardest things to nail down about Boom is its approach to intellectual properties, or IPs, and reproduction rights. N not abortions, like the right to reprint, but you get it. <clears throat> anyway, a quick glance across the comics side of Twitter reveals a lot of anecdotal information from creators that indicated that their contracts were often extremely aggressive. But specific information in reporting was hard to come by, as it is with almost all big business dealings. I did note from an article in Deadline about Boom's deal with Fox, um, it says, and I'm quoting here, As opposed to Dark Horse or Image Comics, where the creators own the IP, Boom and the creators both own the property and work with the creators to establish and sell feature and TV rights. It's called a cooperative shared ownership of the content they publish which sounds suitably friendly until you hear CEO and founder Ross Ritchie's take on it. In a statement surrounding the recent Netflix deal, he said, Boom's unique partnership model of controlling the media rights to our library benefits creators by positioning them to be packaged with high-end directors, screenwriters, and producers. 
which sounds a little bit less like a partnership and a little bit more like a giant publisher with the largest library of comic IPs outside of DC or Marvel, having some very specific thoughts about how and where they would like to reproduce the work you've done and how happy you should be about it. You might notice I've referenced anecdotal evidence a lot throughout this episode. That's because Boom's behaviour, that's low page rates, harsh deadlines and aggressive contracts, have been something of an industry open secret for years. Every now and then, a well-established creator or someone who's just so burned out that they have nothing to lose will see Boom do something and it will spark an impassioned plea to be mindful of working with Boom and to know your worth. These threads are all over Twitter, some from huge verified creators who still work in the industry and some from smaller, independent creators who gave themselves such bad RSI trying to turn out 25 pages in a weekend to meet Boom's deadline that they're still trying to recover an interest in drawing years down the track. You might have also noticed that I'm strategically avoiding directly quoting anyone's Twitter. I mentioned that complaints about wages and working conditions often go unmentioned because of the precarious nature of freelance work and the competitive nature of creative industries. That's part of the reason that I skipped on it, but the second reason is that if you look at the replies to any of these threads, While many of them reiterate the same complaints and offer sympathy, there's often almost an equal amount of replies telling the creator to go and die in a fire. That's because the comics industry has its own version of Gamergate. It's called Comicsgate, in case anyone was wondering how creative a bunch of self-identified geeks coming together to be mad online could be. I don't want to give it too much space, but essentially it's a campaign against diversity in American comics. They go after just about anyone with a pulse and a conscience, and while most creators will simply mute and block as needed, the threat of having a swarm of angry nerd children sicked on you still looms pretty large for a lot of people, particularly women and people of colour and queer people who draw the majority of their ire. I will also note that a lot of the campaigns that the comics gate people run uh, do tend to be extremely aggressive. So they'll involve doxing and threats um, and attempts to get creators fired from the positions that they hold. Which in a roundabout way kind of brings me to Kickstarter. A lot of artists turn to crowdfunding to get their projects off the ground. Assuming that our hypothetical hero avoided boom entirely, or at least managed to survive the burnout enough to run their own project, Kickstarter has an extremely engaged and well-established comics community. In fact, some comics creators use the platform so regularly and so successfully that they've been able to consolidate into small independent publishing houses. Take Spike Trotman, for example. She raised over a million dollars over her first 14 Kickstarter campaigns and was able to fund her own small press publishing company, Iron Circus Comics. She's actually been so successful on the platform that Kickstarter has said that her model has completely reshaped the comics small press and jump-started a renaissance of alternative comics anthologies. With such a well-established community comes a set of cultural norms, including transparency over how money is being spent, delivery roadmaps for the end product, and perhaps most attractively, bonus structures for creators embedded into the campaign goals for projects with multiple contributors. 
This type of initiative was pioneered by Iron Circus. Uh, for example, the fourth edition of their Smut Peddler anthology series included a $5 page rate increase for every $5,000 the Kickstarter made over its goal. It made 106000 Australian dollars on a $20,000 goal. That's a pretty significant bump for all of the creators involved. Now, you would think joining a thriving independent creator community on an entirely separate technology platform, you might be able to avoid the perils of a big publisher-like boom, and if you're lucky, maybe even avoid the rage of Comicsgate dweebs. You, uh, you would be wrong. In September, Boom announced that they would be running a Kickstarter campaign for Berserker, the debut comic from Keanu Reeves. When asked why Boom was taking to Kickstarter to release the comic books, Ross Ritchie said, We're not kickstarting Berserker. We're not raising money. We've got the money for it. The idea then is to combine Kickstarter's reach and ease of use as well as its huge user base of non-comics readers to create content that will ideally drive new readers into comic shops. Effectively, they're offering the opportunity to pre-order the comic in different collector's editions, but through Kickstarter. Rewards-wise, buy-ins start at $50, and if you chuck in $2,500, you can be written into an issue. As of the 8th of September, the Kickstarter is sitting at over 900000 Australian dollars, uh, which is well over its $70,000 goal. So all that sounds pretty harmless, right? Like, sure, Richie's reasoning is a bunch of coked-out marketing strategy buzzwords about bricks-and-mortar retail and utilising digital reach to build an audience or whatever, but that doesn't mean it's bad strategy necessarily, does it? <laughs> Look... Setting aside the fact that it is actually cocaine logic to propose that allowing people to pre-order a book almost two years in advance will somehow drive them into the comic book shops you're intending to release individual issues into anyway, it is actually a strategy that has the potential to do harm to smaller creators. When I saw the news about this campaign, I instantly saw parallels between this and the recent uh, controversy surrounding OnlyFans, which is a technology subscription platform used primarily by sex workers, and actress Bella Thorne. If you haven't seen the story, Thorne recently set up an OnlyFans account where she promised to post nudes for the bargain price of $200 a pop. Having made a million dollars in a day, she posted some photos that decidedly weren't nudes and then noped out of the platform entirely. Outraged fans immediately demanded their money back, as this was happening, OnlyFans announced changes which would cap the size of the tips that people could leave for workers and performers on the platform, combined with changes that meant that creators went from receiving weekly payouts to monthly payouts. It was speculated that this was a result of the platform having to provide such a significant volume of refunds in one go, and the platform's strategy to prevent this from happening again in the future. This has like a real and tangible outcome both on the livelihood of creators and the types of content they're able to create. Boom being on Kickstarter is unlikely to have such a, like an immediate and drastic ramification, but having large content creators on the site is likely to have long-term impacts on the culture. Because Boom is effectively using Kickstarter as a sales platform they didn't want to build and a marketing campaign that they didn't want to pay for, They've disregarded all of the cultural norms that come with posting a campaign on Kickstarter. 
There's no transparency around how the money being pledged will be spent. They're going to charge you extra for shipping after your pledge, but they can't tell you how much. There's no delivery roadmap for when people will receive the product, short of some like vague waves of production and a notice that Boom makes 98% of their comics on time. And more importantly, there's no bonus structure for creators. So the hamster wheel of freelancers is going to keep churning away when the deadlines for the project inevitably get away from the main creators involved. But none of that almost million dollars that's been raised is going to those people. Actually, we have almost no idea where it's going, because they haven't really specified. And on top of that, the fact that creators have actually spoken out against this strategy has sent a wave of Comicsgate kids to the site, where they've deliberately been throwing money at the campaign because smaller creators from marginalized groups have complained. I think the logic is supposed to be some kind of fuck you to critics of this scheme, but like, I don't speak corporate bootlicker. So I'm not sure. Uh, Anyway, if people are going to Kickstarter to spend spite money, they're less likely to be going there to fund the kind of projects that the platform is actually designed for. And that's ultimately the problem. If Kickstarter suddenly becomes a marketing platform for big brands who don't want to pay to market their products, it's going to eventually shift small-time creators off the platform. They might not have nowhere to go given the like proliferation of other digital fundraising platforms, but it will require the re-establishment of the types of community standards that have taken years to build on the platform. And that's likely to harm both creators and consumers. Well, uh, this was my big comic book rant. (laughs) Uh, It had to be done. Boom is trying their darndest to tarnish my boy Keanu's name with their terrible business practices, and I will not stand for it. Uh, I want to say a big thank you to uh, my girl Liz for pointing this one out to me. Without her help, I would never have gotten to write the Fuck You Boom Studios and the horse they rode in on peace that I have desired for so long. Uh, If you have some opinions on comic books or Keanu Reeves' gentle himbo nature, hit me up next time you see me at the pub. Peace. Peace.